Welcome to False Flag Weekly News, the weekly news show uncovering all of the dastardly deeds that have been done throughout the week by the wielders of power. I'm Kevin Barrett with Dr. E. Michael Jones. Welcome back, E. Mike. How are you doing? Thank you, Kevin. Good to be here. All right. Good to be with you, too. Okay, so let's get into our uh, screens for today. Here's the uh, the slide of the week. The image in the mirror is closer than it appears, unfortunately. And why is it getting closer? Well, we just had a terrible uh, tank deal. This is breaking news, Mike. Did you hear that Germany has uh, agreed under U.S. pressure to send 100 Leopard tanks to Ukraine? In return, the U.S. will supply Germany with 10,000 breast implants. The deal is being called <laughs> Tanks for the Memories. Uh, so uh, your, your thoughts on that, Mike? First of all, I think that what we're seeing here is the fulfillment of the Morgenthau plan. The Morgenthau plan was, uh, uh, Morgenthau was Roosevelt's Secretary of Treasury. He wanted to de-industrialize Germany as punishment for World War II and starve the Germans to death. This was the long arm of Jewish vengeance, and it was stopped by uh, the adults in the room at the time. I think the real grammar here, uh, the, the hidden grammar of the war in the Ukraine is basically to break up any type of connection between Germany and Russia. Uh, this is uh, goes all the way back to the McKinder thesis, which has to uh, assert uh, Anglo hegemony, Anglo-American hegemony over the Eurasian landmass. So okay. I, I did I didn't I didn't hear that it was 100. I heard it was like 10. But uh, I think uh, what... well, that, that, that's the uh, the memories part that gave him the other ninety. <laughs> okay, but uh, the what I did what I, what I'm hearing from Germany is that uh, the basic the purpose of this is to basically destroy the German armaments industry. It takes a long time to the, to produce these tanks. They're handmade. It takes about two years to produce a tank. Mm -hmm. What Germany is going to do is send all of its tanks to. Uh, the Ukraine, where they will promptly be destroyed, like every other piece of hardware that has ended up in the Ukraine. And that means that the Germany will then have to uh, replace those tanks with Abrams tanks from America. So it's yeah. it's it's the uh, defense equivalent to exactly what happened with natural gas. Mm -hmm. The United States blew up the pipeline so that the Germans are now requ required to buy liquefied natural gas from the Americans who sent it over by ship. It's exactly the same plan. Indeed. Okay, and we'll get a little bit more into that in a second. We'll just quickly, a couple of public service announcements, though, real fast. First, if you'd like to help save our monuments from Zelensky, uh, as you know, there's a plan to replace virtually all of America's monuments. Antifa and the Biden administration want to tear down all of our monuments and statues and replace them with Zelensky monuments. Or at least it's starting to look almost that way. So if you want to stop that plan, please support False Flag Weekly News by going to truthjihad.com. Click on the False Flag Weekly News link. It will take you to the entry for today's show. And their number one, or in this case, number zero on our list of stories is the fundraiser link. Click on the fundraiser link. It takes you to our fundraiser. And look at that at some point. We've only raised $10 for our February 11th show. That's very sad. And we've been coming up a little short for our, the last two shows, too. So please help out. All right. Uh, one more PSA. Kat McGuire is helping co-organize 
this Rage Against the War Machine demonstration, 12.30 p.m. Sunday, February 19th, President's Day. So if you don't like Zelensky uh, being uh, you know, the, the next monument with uh, my you know, Washington and Lincoln's statues being chipped away and so it looks more like Zelensky, please go to the Washington Monument. No, where's it going to be? It's going to be uh, at the Lincoln Memorial at 12.30 p.m. on Sunday, February 19th. And the Lincoln Memorial, by the way, uh, we hope it's not going to look like this. All right. Enough PSAs. Let's move on to uh, the story. Tanks, but no tanks is what you know, their their bad pun in the Washington Post uh, was. What's the matter with Germany? Germany wa doesn't want to send those tanks. Well, Mike, you explained pretty well why they were not that eager. Though Schultz was kind of uh, backtracking and dragging his feet, but finally they forced him to send that. I guess it was ten, not a hundred yet. Um, and uh, and Eugippius wrote pretty much what you said, which is that this is yet another way to destroy Germany force Germany to become completely dependent on U.S. military manufacturing, uh, just like natural gas. And uh, and then also, here was a, another a good piece uh, about uh, Harold Kujat, the German uh, general uh, who was blowing the whistle on all this stuff. Yeah, it's, it's the only coherent explanation of what's going on, that basically this is war against Germany. Now, they're supposed to be our, our biggest ally in Europe. Uh, this is this is absolutely crazy. But what is what is doing is exposing the whole rotten deal of social engineering and the corruption of the German people, the turning into docile vassals of the American empire that's been happening ever since World War Two. Uh, this is going to awaken is going to rip apart old wounds uh, that uh, have taken a long time to heal. And, and eventually the German people are going to have to respond. I mean, who can you imagine? This is this lady Baerbock uh, in, a, in a kind of en passant remark uh, to some group of people uh, where she's speaking English, of course, so that the German people don't understand what she's saying, I guess, uh, says, oh, we are at war with Russia. Why? <laughs> what? What? You just declared war with Russia? Oh, by the way. Uh, oops. By uh, oops. I just declared war. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, the Russians took this very seriously. You know, this comes on the heels of Angela Merkel's uh, statement that, oh, we lied to the Russians. We were just buying time so the Ukrainians could re restock and uh, militarize and so on and so forth. This is a disaster. The leadership there is a disaster. And Olaf Scholz is, is, is folded like a cheap suit when as soon as they put pressure on him to destroy the basis of German prosperity, which is uh, heavy, heavy industry. Well, as Henry Kissinger said, it can be uh, very dangerous to be an enemy of the United States, but to be a friend and ally is often fatal. And it looks like it may turn out that way for Germany. Yeah, it turns that way. Seems that way. Okay. Well, I guess we're on the same page on this particular story. Uh, and it's interesting that the kind of perspective that we would agree with is almost, you just can't seem to find it anywhere in the corporate mainstream media. You have to uh, go to these kinds of blogs to find it. And the, you know, this war is it seems to be a kind of a World War III to prop up the U.S. empire, which is propped up by the petrodollar. But the petrodollar has been slipping. More and more countries are evading the U.S. sanctions on Russia and China and Iran and everybody else by trading in things other than dollars, which is undermining the very basis of the empire that they're fighting to try to prop up. Uh, the latest news here is that Brazil and Argentina are talking about uh, a new common currency for their trade to get out of dollars. It, Brazil and Argentina are getting out of dollars. Mike, it's like, who's who's next? I mean, wh who's going to stay in dollars? Te Texas is next. 
Texas. <laughs> there you go. But then, what's the new then, currency then there? Then Florida. Then Florida. I don't know the Longhorn. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, this Alamos. is this, this is the this is the uh, the the cunning of reason again. Uh, you've got it. All goes back to the sanctions office. The sanctions office is a Jewish preserve in the Treasury Department that has basically used this, overused this weapon to the point where now 40% of the world's population are have, live in countries that are under sanctions. Uh, you, It's too much of a good thing. You're bringing about the very opposite of what you intend. You are creating a new world currency that is going to undermine the main pillar of the American empire. Now, you'd think that someone would be smart enough to understand that, but there is no one there. No one in Washington is smart enough or, let's say, has the power. No one has the power to object to Jewish hegemony. Uh, over our tre the Treasury Department, the Sanctions Department, the foreign policy, which is leading this country to its doom. It is bringing about the end of the American empire. Why, why is everyone in Washington too blind to see this? It's odd. And actually, you know, when you're going to get, get into talking about the, the Jewish issue here, uh, Jews are said to be well, they, these top level Jews who are grossly disproportionate in places like the IMF and Treasury and uh, and the Federal Reserve banking system and, and global international banking are supposed to be very sharp at this sort of thing. That's how they got to these positions. But you're suggesting that they are not sharp enough to see that they're undermining this system that is keeping them in power. Uh, and that seems like kind of a paradox. It is a paradox, but that they're not smart enough to understand that you could you can bring up bring about the very opposite of what you intend. That's completely alien to people who think that truth is the opinion of the powerful. And that is the regnant ideology uh, on Wall Street and in Washington. It's the regnant ideology of the New York Times. Truth is the opinion of the powerful. And that means the Ukraine is winning this war. Isn't it obvious? <laughs> well, hey, we're, we're an empire now. Whatever we say is the truth, right? That's what Charles Rose exactly, supposedly said. It, it, is, it is true because some powerful person said it. And the most powerful people in the media are the Jews in places like the New York Times. And if they say the Ukraine is winning the war, well, damn it, they're winning the war. You know, uh, might, might not only be Jews here, though. Mike Carl Rove, who famously said, we're an empire now. We create our own reality. And you, the reality-based community, so-called, will just keep chasing us to try to figure out what's going on. But you'll never catch up. I mean, Rove isn't even Jewish, but he's clued into that agenda. It's never always just Jews, okay? But the point is that they are the leaders. They are, as uh, Marx once said, the avant-garde, the avant-garde, and they control the revolutionary movement here. Okay. Uh, I'm not going to argue back against that because we have 30 stories to cover. And let's get into some true and false conspiracy theories. How do you tell the difference? You know, since I got chased out of the University of Wisconsin for talking about 9-11, honestly, I've been looking at a long list of so-called conspiracy theories and trying to figure out which ones are true. And a surprising number of them are 9-11 uh, is the most obvious. Jeremy Kuzmarov at Covert Action Quarterly, the premier uh, critique of uh, the magazine that critiques the intelligence community, 
uh, just published a very comprehensive 9-11 truth article going over a long list of the reasons why the official story is obviously false. And what we had here was a false flag coup d'etat. So shout out to Jeremy for going where a lot of folks won't go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, who who cares? Who cares? <laughs> truth is the opinion of the powerful. Didn't you get the memo, Kevin? So you and I yeah. can chatter on forever and ever, but we are not powerful players. And so therefore, what we say is not true. Now, this is obviously a cynical uh, uh, exaggeration, because if I felt that this were true, I wouldn't be doing what I've been doing for the past 45 years, because I still have, don't have any power whatsoever. But I do believe that in the end, the truth is great and it will prevail. And I think that's what we're seeing in our day from all sorts of unexpected quarters. Well, Mike, you might not have that much visible power, but you have a fair number of uh, young people who are very interested in your thoughts. And there seems to be sort of a movement afoot of uh, younger people who've been influenced by you. So maybe there's some power there being exerted, you know, by uh, by Allah <laughs> through his servants. That That's right. Sneaks into the world in ways that aren't always obvious. Uh, well, here, here's another conspiracy theory. The false conspiracy theory is, oh, the Chinese did it. They deliberately leaked COVID from their Wuhan Institute at exactly the worst possible time and place for China, right? At the, in time to destroy Chinese New Year and infect all the Chinese coming through Wuhan at Chinese New Year, you're in mid-January. Uh, I mean, this, this is the most ridiculous conspiracy theory ever that they would deliberately do that. And then the uh, the idea that it would just happen to leak at exactly the worst possible time and place for China is is pretty crazy, too. And then when we add that, in fact, it the U.S. intelligence community knew that this pandemic was a horrible pandemic was coming out of Wuhan back in November of 2019, when a month and a half before the Chinese even knew that, that it was transmissible between humans. It's really obvious what happened here. This was a U.S. biological attack on China. And then it immediately jumped to Iran and hit the Iranian leadership in calm. So, I mean, to me, this is obvious. I've been saying this pretty much since February or maybe even January of 2020, Ron Unz picked it up a couple of months later and wrote a great piece and then a book on it. And it's this is one of the most obviously true conspiracy theories I've ever encountered just on the basis of the context. And uh, it looks like Will Jones over at the Daily Skeptic, one of the most uh, highly uh, regarded and read, most read alternative COVID publications and alternative publications in general, has been to he's totally caught on to this and he's produced a series of really good articles. Yeah, well, the truth is great and it will prevail. That's what I believe. I don't believe it is the opinion of the powerful. And I don't think any force on earth is powerful enough to contain the truth. The truth will eventually come out, in spite of all the attempts to suppress it. Just, I mean, this is a side topic, but uh, who who do you go to for uh, reports on the on the war in the Ukraine? Which, which uh, do you go to CNN or do you go to MSNBC or do you go to the Daily Mail? Who do you go to? You go well, that to stuff's people. also predictable. You don't even have to read it. No, you, it's always the opposite of what's actually happening. Yeah. So uh, who do you go to? You go to two, I mean, two obscure Greeks who have basically cornered the market on uh, informing people about the, the Ukraine. This is uh, God uh, deposes the mighty from their thrones. Well, re remind us who these obscure Greeks are. Uh, for the some people well, it's, I'm 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 referring to the Duran, uh, uh, Alex Mercurius, and uh, another Alexander. It's a prominent name there, uh, Christoforou. So yeah. who who whoever heard of these people before mm. the Ukrainian before the Ukrainian war? And now people go to them on a regular basis. This is this is what happens. As I said, God deposes the mighty from their thrones. 
you know, and puts the lowly in their place. Where, and they bring it about because of their own stupidity, because they've been doing nothing but lying to us about the war and the and COVID and so on and so forth. So many other things. Well, this this COVID, uh, the COVID truth movement, uh, you know, the, the truth about a lot of these peripheral aspects of it, uh, that movement is very strong. Now, the movement to figure out how it actually uh, originated. That that movement is is a bit weaker and more confused, but it seems to be moving in the right direction. And uh, Will Jones is, is playing a role here. And who will be next? I don't know. Uh, so more pandemic news. Uh, the big news this week, and I'm sure some of our viewers were just waiting for this story, is uh, this uh, high-level Pfizer executive, uh, Jordan, what's his name? Uh, Jordan uh, Tristan Walker, who... Uh, was uh, apparently thinking that he he was on some kind of gay date with some <laughs> <laughs> some hot young thing or something like that. Uh, <laughs> blurted out all this stuff about how Pfizer is directing evolution and doing what appears to you know, sounds like gain of function research to create new variants of COVID that they can then sell as vaccines against. I mean, what a dinner conversation this is. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, when he gets exposed, he goes bananas. Uh, so uh, this was this was uh, obviously you know one of the most uh, kind of you know bizarre and shocking uh, stories in in recent memory. Project Veritas you know has done some interesting candid camera operations before, but this one kind of takes the cake, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and and so you're blamed because you're you're quoting the guy. Where where have I heard that before? They did it. Uh, I I think this is the same organization that uh, videotaped the uh, Planned Parenthood people in California about yeah. uh, selling body parts. Yep. Well, uh, guess who? Uh, that they were prosecuted for telling the truth, uh, and I believe it was Kamala Harris who led that uh, whole prosecution of the uh, of the right to life. Well, yeah, he, here he is calling the police on them. Yeah, call We're asking him questions, and he's saying he's surrounded by white people. Oh no! Yeah, I'm, so I'm feeling Wait. very unsafe. <laughs> Wait a minute, he looks kind of white himself. I, I'm sure he has some white DNA. So why is he so paranoid about this? The other, the other issue here is, oh, I guess he was a homosexual too. Now, uh, is that have it? Does that have any relevance to this story? Does that have any relevance? Does, does the fact that you're a homosexual have something to do with your moral compass? Well, well actually, Mike, the one relevant angle here might be the fact that he's gay and black might be how he was given this prestigious sounding job when he may right. not really be the brightest bulb in the pack. No, that's clear. He's not that bright. But uh, yeah, this is the result of affirmative action here. It looks that way. So what do you mean by affirmative action? You mean some type of docile, moral degenerate who will do anything for money mm -hmm. and then brag about it and then lie about it after he brags about it. Now, and when his is... career gravy train is, is blown up by an operation right. like this, that's the end of his life, which is really it's it's really sad that you know so many people are living. I mean, you can tell this guy the values he's living for are you know his his pride and his ego and having this fancy sounding job, uh, all the money it brings him so he can go on these dates with these guys that he hooks up with, and this is what he's living for. And then when that all blows up in his face, look how miserable he is. Well, guess what? People living for those false values when they die, and we're all going to die someday, it's all going to blow up in your face. And do you want to basically be in in hell, which is where this guy is, as we watch him on the screen, or uh, do you want to die uh, peacefully and uh, you know at at peace with with the way you've lived your life? And this is actually a kind of an interesting moral lesson, isn't it? 
It is a more it's a cautionary tale. It's a moral tale. If you hire people like this, you're going to have problems. So don't hire people like this. Don't go out of your way to hire moral degenerates because that's going to cause problems. This the other thing is that you're talking about this kind of narcissism that is the characteristic of homosexuals as well, which allows him to kind of blurt this all out on the screen, and they get mad at you when you when you quote them. Yeah, that, and I suppose there are you know, psychological reasons for uh, this narcissism. Here's here, here's the the video. We're not going to watch the whole thing, but. You getting the sound, Mike? No, I can't hear the sound at all. But but uh, what okay. I'd like to, oh. what I'd like to say here is, if you question the narcissist, he gets violent. Yeah, Vi violence is right below the surface. I don't know whether you're going to get to that with the clip, but he starts uh, swinging at the guy, uh, tries to break the computer. The guy wants to get out of there. Apparently, they locked him in into the room. Uh, mm -hmm. He can't get out. So uh, it's it's just a recipe for disaster. Why 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 is why is anyone surprised? You hire someone who has who's in rebellion against the moral law because of his sexual life, and then he behaves in an immoral fashion, and thousands of billions of people die, and we're shocked. Why is this shocking? Indeed, yeah. Hey there, is this seat taken? You work for Pfizer. My question for you is, why does Pfizer want to hide from the public? the fact oh that they're God. mutating the COVID viruses. Is this real life? I'm literally a yeah. liar. What I was trying to impress thing? a person on a date What's by lying. Please, this is please, absurd. Please don't touch me. Well, this is not, by the way, why don't, are you doing don't this? tell anybody. Someone who's just working at a company to literally help the public. You f up. You really did. Please read the cost as soon as possible. Can you please unlock your door? No, no, don't let them leave. It kind of gets crazier from there. We won't watch the we won't watch the whole thing. Uh, will we? Maybe you are going to watch the whole thing. Hmm. Okay. Okay, let's uh, go back here to our our slide. So, okay, that, that, ah, it's back. I don't know how to get out of this. We're, we're stuck in an endless time loop, Mike. <laughs> unlock uh, the door, please. Unlock, unlock the door, the please. Door. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. Let, so, so let's, let's move on to, to the, the it's, not, it's not just Jordan, uh, what the heck? I'm not. I'm not seeing what I'm supposed to be seeing here. So let's see. Okay, we have to share the screen again to get back there. All right, here we go. So um, it's not only Pfizer that is planning for new pandemics by mutating new viruses uh, that they can then sell us the vaccines for. It looks like Bill Gates is part of that action too, as he tells Australia that they'd better get ready for the next pandemic and it's going to be man-made and more brutal than COVID. It sounds like he's giving away the game, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. How does he know that? So has anyone asked him, well, how do you know about the next pandemic? Are you in on the planning of the next pandemic? Does it fit into your big plan to depopulate the entire earth uh, buying up all this agricultural property in uh, in the United States and uh, turning it into bug farms or something like that. How do you know? Why isn't he testifying before Congress? Why we know we know why this doesn't get on the news because uh, Pfizer and Big Pharma pay for all of the news programs in the mainstream media. Where is Congress? Does this man know? Is he is he involved in the preparation for this pandemic? It seems that that's what he's uh, telling us. Now, I wonder if people like Gates have enough of a security clearance to understand that what's really going on here is we're moving into an era of endemic biological warfare. 
and that this U.S. strike on China and Iran, a neocon Pompeo strike in particular, Robert Cadillac strike, some suspect, uh, might be the opening salvo in bio World War III. And we can get ready for perhaps retaliation. We can get ready for the next uh, U.S. strike. I mean, the, the, the main issue here, of course, is China's economy. That's what this whole World War III is being fought over. And uh, many people like Robert Cadillac, who is Trump's bio wars are, believe that the only way or the best way to stop rival economies, to harm them, and to win in international competition is through biological attacks. That's what Cadillac has staked his entire career on. And uh, somehow Trump made him U.S. biowars are just in time for COVID. So uh, maybe Gates is aware of this situation, as a, more, more and more people are. And that's why he knows that there's going to be something worse than COVID, and it's going to be man-made. So you're saying he's altruistic. He's driven by altruism here. Well, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm saying he's, he's a, a so cynical. So how much, how, much, how much is Bill Gates paying you to say that, uh, Kevin? <laughs> no, I, I'm thinking if he were altruistic, he would blow the whistle on this and try to get a movement to get the biowar folks under control. But no. Well, is this a covert way of blowing the whistle? This is an interesting idea. I, I haven't so. thought of this before. Bill Gates, whistleblower. I hadn't either, actually. <laughs> so it's so counterintuitive. It's it's even a stretch for me. Uh, but there he is. It's it's going to be worse. And he knows it. And, you know, somebody should ask him the relevant question. You know, tell how do you know this, Bill? But nobody wants to ask him that, apparently, in the mainstream. Well, more uh, COVID and vaccine news. Uh, Elon Musk has revealed that one of the reasons, apparently, that he has opened up Twitter to voices of COVID dissent is that his own personal experience involved a terrible reaction to his second COVID booster. I thought this was a really smart guy. I thought I thought he was supposed to be a genius, yet he, he's, he got two boosters. <laughs> anyway, uh, and then his, his cousin got myocarditis from the vaccine. Well, no wonder he's in favor of free speech on that particular issue. Yeah, uh, we uh, are seeing something unprecedented here. So the uh, the airlines, for example, insisted that all pilots had to get vaccinated. Now the uh, what what's the whatever federal agency now has to change the rules for uh, uh, cardiograms, electrocardiograms, because they're all showing up with heart irregularities. So who's in charge here? And then now the really interesting thing is that the oligarch airway. The main oligarch airway, which is uh, NetJets, which is owned by Warren Buffett, is now uh, only the oligarchs only want non-vaccinated pilots. After imposing this on us and killing off, uh, almost killing off the pilot, the airline industry, now they're insisting that they only want unvaccinated pilots. Interesting. So, so all of the private jets flying into Davos are going to be piloted by unvaccinated pilots. And then the ordinary folks like us are going to be riding on big commercial airliners in horrendous conditions after being groped and molested by TSA. And we're going to be flown by unvaccinated pilots. So it's, it's yeah. really kind of a two-tier system here, isn't it? Yeah, I think I think that the oligarchs want to destroy the airlines. They're not going to be affected. They don't go through TSA checks when they go to their private airports. I mean, and get on private planes. You can do carry guns on, do whatever you want. They Warren Buffett said that the only difference, real difference between him who lives in a kind of normal house and drives on roads like everyone else is when he flies in his private jet. And that's important to them. And I think they'd like to destroy uh, air travel for the rest of us. Of course, to save the earth from uh, global warming, I suppose, is their excuse. Let's move on to the Holocaust stories of the week. 
uh, there's always a Holocaust story pretty much every week. Uh, first Holocaust story here is the vaccine Holocaust story. Well, that's right. The uh, Holocaust survivor and director Vera Sharev, she must be a pretty old film director if she's a Holocaust survivor, uh, has just produced this Never Again is Now Global, comparing the vaccine situation to the Big H Holocaust. And of course, there are a lot of folks out there at B'nai B'rith and the ADL who are going to say that she's a terrible anti-Semite because the Big H Holocaust is utterly and completely incomparable. Um, and they're going to, they went after RFK Jr. with that line. And, but, but she being a Holocaust survivor is apparently immune to this. So um, anyway, Mike, what, what do you think about the way that, that the Holocaust metaphor or comparison is, is so overused? Well, there's an interesting example from England. There was a, a member of parliament by the name of Bridger who uh, attacked on the floor of the parliament the go the government's COVID measures. And he said, it's the worst, it's the worst uh, uh, crime against humanity since the Holocaust. Well, that man is not denying the Holocaust. He's, he's substantiating the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. And what happened was, that the uh, all of the Holocaust guardians came down on him like a ton of bricks, uh, said this was terrible at what he did, and then the conservative party expelled him from the party for what? For because Holocaust said, affirmation. Well, Holocaust affirmation. So what? What I think we the conclusion we have to draw here is it's only legitimate uh, if you are using it to prop up the government. You can because that is the purpose of the Holocaust narrative is to prop up the American empire. And if, if it's an unauthorized use of the word Holocaust, there you, you will be fired. Yeah. Copyright infringement for unauthorized use. That seems to be the problem here. Well, speaking of, of Holocaust memorials and Holocaust uh, everything, uh, how about this urgent need to build another UK Holocaust memorial? Uh, they they are apparently in a hurry to build six million Holocaust memorials all over the world before the last Holocaust survivor dies. And I thought it was, it was interesting that the guys who are pushing this are named Pickles and Balls. I mean, that sounds like a, a comedy <laughs> duo almost, doesn't it? <laughs> Well, the big look, the uh, the the uh, Chivota Cattolica wrote uh, 1890 wrote an article on the Jewish questions when the Catholic Church could address the Jewish question, and they said they digger the deeper the pit they dig, the more the farther they're going to fall. The higher they rise, the bigger they come, the more they fall. So you're putting all your uh, all your money on one number here, uh, which is very precarious. It's a very precarious foundation for what they're doing, and it could collapse overnight simply by the weight of all of these Holocaust museums. If someone explains how, where this really came from, you will see how fragile this whole operation is. Well, someday uh, there may be an iconoclastic revolution in which people go and smash these graven images uh, to this, uh, this big lie, basically. Well, be because we're being forced to worship at them. Yeah. I think this is this is this is a religion, and we were forced. Uh, like uh, you can't mention the name, the holy name. That's what Bridger found out. So it is a, a an an idolatry that is imposed on all of us. And sooner or later, there's going to be a reaction. Yeah, well, there's there's been some reaction, but it could it could get uh, much bigger. Uh, well, speaking of Holocaust, you know that obviously we're not denying that uh, large numbers of inmates in German concentration camps died horribly during World War II. Uh, bodies of starved people were indeed found in some of them, and uh, 
there were reasons why they starved, uh, such as the total destruction of the German economy during the final year of the war. Well, right here in the United States, we have people in that kind of situation, too. Uh, Larry Eugene Price was found starved to death in his prison cell in Arkansas. He was there because he couldn't pay his $100 bail. So they locked him up and like a well over a year. He, he was just forgotten about in the cell and they starved him to death. Uh, and this sort of thing and slightly lesser examples of, of this horrific kind of abuse happens constantly in the American prison system. And yet we are told that the Iranians need to revolt against their government because uh, a woman uh, died in custody. She collapsed and the video shows her in perfect health, not having been beat up, no injuries whatsoever. She's waltzing around in, in the, uh, the arraignment court. And finally, at some point, she, for no apparent reason, she just collapses. So she had uh, a, apparently a, a heart issue. Um, but for that reason, of course, the Iranians are evil and they mistreat people in their court system, whereas we starve people to death by just locking them up when they can't pay $100 bail and starve them to death like, uh, like these Holocaust images that we've seen. And uh, and we're we're not supposed to even try and fix that. Maybe we should fix our own prison system before we run around uh, screaming about Russia and Iran and so on and so forth. Or maybe we should uh, question the monopoly that the Holocaust Holocaust has on human suffering. I mean, yeah. did, did this yeah. did this story come out at the same time that the Holocaust is monopolizing the news because it's Holocaust Remembrance Day or Remembrance Month or whatever it is? We see, I, I hate to say this, but you see the same thing in the Catholic Church, where the Pope is coming out talking about the plight of homosexuals. Yeah, um, we're going to get to that story. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, but basically what you have is a monopoly on suffering, uh, by a certain group of people who are not, uh, and the people who are really suffering here get ignored. Now, obviously this is an exception, but it's the exception that proves the rule. That's right. Well, uh, let's, let's talk about how they try to keep us from learning all of these facts that cut against the sacred narratives that they're using to hurt us probably to the slaughter. And the, the censorship is just getting worse and worse and worse. Uh, this article on incentivizing censorship about the Foucault panopticon that's being drilled into everybody's skull. We're all being terrorized. Like, if we say the wrong thing on False Fly Weekly News, we'll get deplatformed. We'll get demonetized. We'll get debanked. We'll never work in this town again. We'll never have a, uh, we'll never be able to earn a living again. We'll end up starving to death like Larry Price. Uh, you know, that's what they're trying to terrorize us into thinking. And so in this particular article by Helen Byniski, or Helen of Destroy, who is uh, sometime host here on False Flag Weekly News, she wrote it with T.J. Coles, who's a postdoc at Plymouth University, uh, about the way that this censorship wave is really designed not so much only to prevent the wrong information from getting out there, but also to condition us to censor ourselves. Absolutely. I think that if you want to understand how this works, look at Germany. Germany is way far advanced than uh, what we are. We still have some claims to freedom of speech, but it's all being eroded by by big tech uh, through this introduction of a new technology. But if you want to see where this goes, uh, look at Germany. Look at how docile the Germans have become, largely because of the imposition of the Holocaust narrative on the entire country. That's where it started uh, Benedict the Sixteenth then took the Holocaust narrative and imposed it on the Catholic Church, and so now we are all guilty. Uh, well, Catholics are guilty. Everyone is guilty. Well, I don't know whether you're going to talk about his new book, but I could go into that as well. 
Uh, oh, yeah, we're going to get to that, uh, those stories in a second here, I think. Okay. So, yeah, we'll, let's let's move towards them. Uh, but before we get there, another incentivizing censorship story. Talk about how you incentivize censorship and get people to censor themselves. If you own Conservative Incorporated or Con Inc., uh, and we know which group, okay, let's just call them who they are, Zionists, uh, ethnically Jewish Zionists, have bought up all of the biggest conservative media outlets and if you want to work for those outlets, you get a big pile of money, but you basically have to just let them take over your entire life and your entire business. This sounds like the kind of deal that Kanye West or Ye was complaining about when he uh, decided to go DEFCON 3 or whatever. Uh, and, and here's Steven Crowder facing the same kind of situation that Ye did and speaking out maybe not quite as bluntly and impolitely as Ye did, but speaking out nonetheless. Yeah, he was very coy about the way he introduced the thing. He wouldn't say who he was working for. Uh, and he kept talking about big con and little con. And Conservatism is a completely meaningless term. It means whatever the rich and powerful want it to mean. And they enforce that by all of these big contracts. So when it turns out that it's the Daily Wire, that's how they responded. Well, it turns out, hey, wait a minute. It's not a conservative issue. It's an ethnic issue, if you want to talk about that way. It's Jewish control over the conservative narrative. And this is how they do it with uh, buying uh, big, big money uh, to buy you a contract. Kanye is relevant here because uh, <laughs> what we're talking about is the gold chain. This is uh, what the, the black rappers get. They they wear a gold chain as the symbol of the money that gave, they get paid to be docile servants of the narrative. And that's precisely what uh, the Daily Wire is involved in. Enforcing, the taking over the conservative narrative and enforcing it on, on the rest of us. Well, a shout out to Steven Crowder for standing up against it and blowing the whistle on it. And then also to Andrew Torba of Gab, the alternative... Uh, chatting player, what the the uh, the alternative to Twitter, uh, and this is an article that that he put out. He's doing pretty good work. Uh, well, speaking of incentivizing censorship, how about incentivizing us to believe that the establishment is another protected group, another oppressed minority? From now on, if you criticize the establishment, you're guilty of anti-establishment hate, uh, according <laughs> to the Washington Post. I, I love that phrase, anti-establishment hate, uh, which was responsible for Jacinda Ardern's uh, demise. And so I, I wrote a piece about this, uh, about how the Washington Post is now making anti-establishment hate another hate crime. <laughs> I mean, you know, you can't make this stuff up, can you? No, uh, wait a minute. I think what we're talking about here is is feminism. So uh, when... Uh, a woman gets elected, no matter what her competence is, because because she's got a uterus rather than a brain. Uh, it's a great triumph for freedom. And so <laughs> Mike, that, that's so a very forth. sexist thing to say. Now, wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. Uh, Barbara Ehrenreich, Barbara Ehrenreich said. Well, yeah, they, they say that we have a male sex organ instead of a brain. And sometimes okay. they're right. Barbara Ehrenreich said a uterus is no substitute for a conscience. And she was right. So whenever these people get elected, it's like a big triumph. Uh, and then when the they they screw up, I mean, this was she was uh, imposed the most draconian COVID lockdown in the world, I think, um, uh, maybe next to China, but imposed it on the country. The country was outraged at this. And then they drive her out of office and suddenly, wait a minute, it wasn't a woman who screwed up. It was a wave of anti-establishment hate. This is the way uh, the Washington Post flips the narrative. 
But, you know, once they've established that new category of anti-establishment hate, I mean, you can't criticize the establishment anymore. You're committing a hate crime. And it's funny that the people doing this are really the boomers, right? That's the generation that gave us the wave of anti-establishment hate of 1968. And a lot of that hate or that rage against the establishment was very much deserved. Uh, but those same people uh, who were so extreme back then in hating the establishment, now they say you can't even criticize the establishment at all or you're guilty of a hate crime. So there, there's something something strange about that generation. No, I think it's the rule now. You're not allowed to uh, cr uh, uh, criticize the establishment. That's the law. I just said the truth is the opinion of the powerful. It's the same thing, same way of saying the same thing. These people have taken over the narrative. They co-opted uh, the 1960s. Uh, I was alive during the 1960s. I know that surprises you, Kevin, but I was there. And you, I, you don't I seem like a '60s guy to me. I, 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 my hair was much longer then, but I mean, uh -huh. I did, I could, I remember sitting in a bar drinking illegally when I was 20 years old in Philadelphia, watching the Chicago Convention, Democratic Convention, and not being able to make out anything about what was going on. We were guinea pigs. We were guinea pigs. So don't use the term "boomer" as if we did anything. It's a completely bogus term. That is uh, uh, an example of blaming the victim. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's uh, there's a lot of truth to that. Although it, it, from, from the younger generation's perspective, when they see the current establishment, which just happens to be dominated by boomers, and then make the leap of blaming the entire boomer generation, that's uh, probably not a justified leap. Um, well, here's Tucker Carlson. Uh, breaking this story about, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're incentivizing self-censorship in so many ways. And one of them is this J6 thing. You know, when people went to D.C. Uh, on January 6th to protest what they thought was a stolen election, it was just another protest, right? Well, no, it's anti-establishment hate. And all of you hate criminals who went to that event are now going to pay for the rest of your lives. And uh, so there's now a registry for these J6 defendants. And they're still they're prosecuting more and more of them all the time. I forget how many hundreds they've already processed or, or even going up to, towards a thousand or something like that. It's getting to the point that anybody who even showed up at this demonstration might be in some kind of legal jeopardy. And then they put you on a, a sex register or a, like a sex offender registry, except this is a J6 uh, offender registry and they optimize the search results. So the first thing anybody will ever see about you is that you are an insurrectionist and uh and a traitor and so on and so forth so they're going to try to ruin the lives of anybody who went against the establishment on this particular issue to send a message to the rest of us not to go against the establishment on anything yeah they did the same thing in canada they they, they a very similar situation they thought they had the right to of expressing grievance to the government and now they are crushed and they're put on these type of illegal illegal type of uh list like no fly list this is a problem across the board if 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 you if you type in my name to Google, the first thing that comes up is the anti-defamation league's defamation of me. Do, do we have any recourse here? Is there any recourse when when these this is the government? OK, so presumably we have some type of recourse when it's the government. But you have agents like Google who have the power, probably more power than the government, certainly more power than the Irish government, which they took over. Uh, and you have no recourse. When are we going to get recourse? When is the uh, whether or the Repub are the Republicans going to do this now that they control the House? When is this going to become uh, part of the political agenda that we need to do something? That's the big question. So 
you know, if, if somebody gave me the opportunity to have all the leadership of the ADL and the SLPC and Benebrith and all these other censors uh, suddenly denied housing, denied banking, uh, completely suppressed, not allowed to speak, um, I wouldn't even really want that. I mean, that's ridiculous. Like, they have the right to speak, right? They, they have the right to live in a house. They have a right to have a bank account, et cetera, et cetera. But I guess that's, you know, we don't think the way they do. Now, <laughs> what, what the other thing we have to bring up here, again, is law enforcement. Who's in who's in charge of the Department of Justice? Uh, can, can, a Jew, can a Jew be head of the Department of Justice? Or is he going to use this as wreaking Jewish vengeance on his enemies? This is a serious question. Do we have law? Do we have law enforcement? Is being a Jew an impediment to being a law enforcement officer in this country? Merrick Garland is a good example of what I'm talking about. We also have the Soros prosecutors all over the country who've been put there by Jewish money to basically destroy the rule of law. This is a topic that needs to be brought up and it needs to be discussed here. We're just now witnessing a trial just started in Philadelphia of Mark Knowles, a pro-lifer, a Catholic pro-lifer who was uh, 30 FBI agents show up at his house with drawn guns, drag him out in his underwear uh, for something that didn't even rise to the level of a misdemeanor. Now, this is uh, a serious issue because abortion is a fundamental Jewish value. And what you're seeing with people like Merrick Garland is imposing their religion on the rest of us by the selective law enforcement. Well, you may be right about Merrick Garland. I doubt very much that all Jews are necessarily uh, incapable of being good law enforcement officers. Although I know when Mel Brooks got pulled over for uh, for drunken driving, maybe, you know, and the way he got treated, maybe he would agree with that. Uh, in any case, moving on to the evil spirit section of our show. Uh, Pelosi and Pompeo, are, those, are they evil spirits? Well, no, Pelosi is trying to exorcise evil spirits from her mansion after this hammer attack on her husband. Um, this is interesting. You know, the, the, the Catholic Church does have uh, an exorcism ritual. And from what I've heard, there's some reality to that kind of thing. But I wouldn't have thought of Pelosi as being a church going woman who would call in an exorcist when she had a problem with the evil spirits. Didn't, didn't Jesus say you can't use Beelzebub to drive out demons? Why, why isn't uh, Nancy Pelosi being exorcised here? This is uh, part of the, the Catholic faith that she was baptized into uh, turning bad and being politicized and being used as a weapon, a Catholic faith she doesn't follow at all when it comes to things like abortion is now being invoked in some type of weird way to uh, cover over what happened to her husband. I don't know. Why was the guy there? I, I don't know. I saw the video. It, it seems to me that there's something else going on here. There's mm -hmm. some type of random attack by a stranger. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of surprised she's not calling in Michael Aquino to do an anti-exorcism. But of course, he might be involved with the people who sent uh, DePape to the house in the first place. But who knows? That's all speculation. Uh, well, one thing that's not speculation is that the murder of General Soleimani was, uh, in some ways, one of you know, the opening round of World War III. It happened at the same time, pretty much, as the U.S. bioattack on Wuhan and Qom really took root at the beginning of 2020. And now Pompeo has admitted in an interview that uh, he put the civilians on Soleimani's commercial aircraft at risk with this murder. And uh, and then he's, he's admitted that 
the reason they killed Soleimani was like there's he's irreplaceable it's like trying to replace an original Rembrandt so he spilled a little bit of the the truth here uh obviously killing Pompeo in retaliation wouldn't help the Iranians at all Pompeo is an idiot and probably it's better for them to have him alive and well in fact if they could clone him and have 100 Pompeos in high power in the U.S. that probably would bring down the U.S. empire but uh the evil people kill off the good because you kill one good charismatic person and then you know you've disabled the 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 good side you know you look at the murders of the Kennedys they're no angels but certainly relatively good uh and uh Dr King Malcolm X and Paul Wellstone and on and on and on it seems to be it's always the evil killing the good and that was the case with Pompeo killing General Soleimani yeah didn't Pompeo said we lied we cheated isn't isn't this the guy who said this uh, when he was head of the CIA. Yeah, we lied, we, we cheated, we stole. That's yeah, why we it was lied. so much fun to run the CIA. Well, wait wait a minute. How, how can anyone take seriously a man who uh, opens the conversation by saying that he's a liar? Mm -hmm. Yeah, just like that uh, Pfizer executive, Jordan. You know, uh, <laughs> I'm a liar. <laughs> why, is anyone, why is anyone taking this seriously? And secondly, if they're involved, if the CIA is involved in this type of thing, how can we trust anything they do? Why, why do these people, why, why is this conversation not taking place? We had to, I, the, the Catholic head of the CIA showed up at Notre Dame and I tried to hold him uh, accountable uh, for what he's doing. But, you know, he's being honest with you by telling you that I'm lying to you. Yeah. Well, how, that's probably how, do you the how do you deal with people like this? I think, I think the reason Kennedy died is because he tried to deal with these people. Uh, and uh, failed, and they dealt with him, and they killed him. Mm -hmm. Well, these are all a bunch of lying Cretans, and you know, all Cretans are liars, right? And yeah. uh, these these are total Cretans, uh, as the Ramones sang about the Cretan hop. There's no stopping the Cretans from hopping. There's no stopping the Cretans like like uh, Pompeo from lying either. Oh well, well we're living in an aging world, and uh, General Soleimani was cut down in his prime, and will be remembered that way. And ultimately, the Iranians will get their revenge on the evil empire and the Zionists who killed him by taking the empire down, and the Zionists will be expelled from the region. Meanwhile, the world continues to age; the rest of the world, anyway. And there are five rules for an aging world, according to the New York Times. Follow these rules, or you're in trouble. Uh, we need redistribution from the old to the young uh we need you know innovation blah 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 um ground warfare runs up against population limits they're hoping that russia has that problem and uh a little youth and vitality will go a long way in the kingdom of the aged so if your country has a little bit more in the way of young people than the next country you'll do better and then finally the Afri african diaspora will reshape the world that means that africa is the one continent that is still uh, having children at much greater than replacement rates. So basically, the Africans are going to take over the world. So those are the rules for an aging world, according to the New York Times. Let's not violate them, Mike, or we might get in trouble. Yeah, well, uh, this is, goes back to, to the 60s and about to population control, uh, back to people like Paul Ehrlich, uh, the population bomb, 1968, saying that the uh, the India was going to starve to death in 1976. All of these failed failed predictions uh basically uh were part of a propaganda campaign that basically instilled these ideas that you shouldn't have children into people and the result is that uh, you, these people who did it who acted on that are going to pass from the scene and they will be praised by people who do have children so you're it's suggesting that demographic prognostication is not an exact science that demographic prognostication in the case of Paul Ehrlich was simply 
the ruling class elite, uh, symbolized best by the Rockefellers, John D. Rockefeller III, worried that some uh, uh, Catholic or Negro was going to outpopulate his group of people and instituting, promoting Planned Parenthood, population control, all of these things. And now we're reaping the bitter fruit of that agenda. It should have been stopped back then. But again, no one can stop it because some rich and powerful actor is promoting it. So therefore, it must be true. We're all going to starve to death in 1976. Oh, oh, wait a minute. I guess we didn't starve to death in 1976. I must have missed that. I guess I was. Uh, I, I didn't get the memo. I should have starved myself back. I guess the only guy got it was that guy who died in jail in Arkansas. Indeed. Well, the one thing that uh, we know is that, yeah, it is an aging world right now. Demographically, uh, much of the world is getting older on average. We're getting more and more retired populations being supported by fewer and fewer younger working age people. And so that is a problem. And of course, COVID, some people think COVID might have been partly intended to solve that since it disproportionately kills off the useless eaters, the old and the infirm. Well, uh, speaking of an aging world, Pat Buchanan, uh just retired um he's been pumping out his column since as long as i can remember and you know i i think mike that you know pat buchanan is not the kind of hardcore truth teller that you are but that uh his well-educated thoughtful catholic conservatism ultimately led him to a lot of relatively strong and and truthful positions on things and i think the country would be better off if he had been elected president rather than marginalized way back in the day. Yeah, I mean, to give the man credit, uh, it was stunning what he did in 1992 when he basically resurrected the America first narrative and basically blew up conservatism. Because up to that time, conservatism was something, uh, I don't know, laissez-faire economics, whatever you want to call it. Conservatism had been created in the 1950s to obliterate the memory of America first. America first being the, the movement uh, from the Midwest, uh, headed by Lindbergh, Ford, and Father Cochran, who was uh, determined to keep America out of the war, uh, supported manufacturing as opposed to finance and all of those things. Conservatism, as Pat Buchanan knew it, had been created to destroy that, to obliterate that. People like William F. Buckley were there to create, make sure no one would ever talk about America first. And Pat single-handedly brought it back. And to his credit, uh, that that's to his credit, he did that. But as I said uh, before, I mean, I, I, I admire his, I admire the man, I admire his books, but he can never bring himself to say the word Jew. That's the difference between me and Pat. And so I wrote in one of my articles, he was talking about Mexicans. And I said, uh, in the article, is Paul Wolfowitz a Mexican? He would always, uh, you know, pull his punch whenever it came to that. There was always some type of circumlocution. And in the end, they hated him anyway. So it didn't make any, it didn't, he didn't gain anything, I don't think, by doing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, it's easier to just tell the truth and uh, let let the, uh, the chips and the punches fall where they may, and they'll probably end up. Some of them will be falling on your face, but you know that's that's life. Uh, so Biden uh, is part of the aging world, and some people would say we're on sort of a Biden death watch. In that the establishment looks like maybe it's, if not getting ready to get rid of Biden, at least you know threatening to in order to pressure him to go along with their extreme neocon anti-Russia war through Ukraine project. Tucker Carlson just put out this interesting piece about how the CIA got rid of Kennedy and Nixon. We all know how to get rid of Kennedy with a, a bullet in the in the head. 
Uh, but few people know that they got rid of Nixon through the orchestrated Watergate coup d'etat. And so Tucker Carlson is actually letting these little bits of historical truth slip through. He is a great, uh, relatively good at least, uh, episode on the JFK assassination a while back. And now here he is again uh, offering this truthful counter narrative. Uh, so it's it's kind of good to see this on such a highly rated, much viewed show. Yeah, Tucker Carlson is the only person in the mainstream news media who comes close to dealing with reality. The others are completely lost in propaganda. They're just shills and hacks. Tucker Carlson is the only guy who who is the exception to that rule. And so he did come out with this. He said other things, uh, that thing on the Kennedy assassination, uh, Robert Kennedy assassination, immediately prompted Robert Kennedy Jr. to say this is the best piece of journalism in 60 years and and that uh, it was a coup d'etat. That narrative is percolating up uh, through Tucker Carlson. Uh, the ADL wants him fired, uh, but he's the only guy who gives Fox any even a shred of credibility. And of course, some folks say, well, he must be controlled opposition. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's more like people know their limits. You know, Pat Buchanan, he... Uh, he right. He set limits for himself about the J word and things like that. And I think Tucker probably has set a few limits for himself. He hasn't, I, th I think he knows about 9-11 and he hasn't really gone there yet. And I don't know if he ever will, but he's at least pushing the envelope. And I don't think it means he's just reading from some mockingbird script as he no. pushes the envelope. No, he's, he's no. doing it. Yeah, he wants to tell as much truth as he can get away with, in no. my opinion. I think you're absolutely right in comparing him to Pat Buchanan. I think that's the exact analogy that, that we have here. There's a guy who thinks, uh, like Pat thought, if I if I say this, I'll lose all credibility. Uh, well, we don't know because you didn't do it. And <laughs> and I think Tucker Carlson is in a similar situation. He was on Megyn Kelly. And Kelly told him the ADL wants to get you fired. And Pat uh, Tucker Carlson said, fuck them, the ADL. So he knows who they are. We know what his attitude toward them is. But the constraints don't allow him to to, to say this on Fox News. Yeah, yeah, just just like when Pat Buchanan came on my radio show, and after I I tried my nine eleven thesis out on him, he said, "I just can't believe my friend Dick Cheney would do a thing like that." <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem with Pat. Pat's problem yeah. was that he was taken into the White House when he was a young man, and he never got over. It. And Nixon was in the White House; he never got over that. It colored his entire life after that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think he, you know he's a basically decent human being and has a hard time. Uh, understanding the depths of depravity of some of these indecent people like Cheney and, and many others. Uh, but yeah, so we've, we've got some semi truth tellers out there. We got, you know, Buchanan, unfortunately we don't anymore since he retired and we've still got Tucker and uh, well um, let's, let's uh, move on here to more uh, truth about that. We're not supposed to hear about uh, Azerbaijan and uh, Artsakh. I actually had this guy, uh, uh, Peter Bahulawian on the show, on my radio show last night, talking about the ethnic cleansing of Artsakh, Armenia, uh, which Azerbaijan claims it was part of Azerbaijan during the Soviet period. And now they've blockaded the only road and they're not letting food and medicine go in. And then they're getting ready to open it up just to let the people go out. So this is classic ethnic cleansing. It's sort of like what's been done to Palestine, only they're doing it even faster. Yeah, except that they're they're ethnically cleansing the the Christians here. The Armenians are, are Christians, and it's the Muslims who are well, ethnically they, they, cleansing. They, the Palestinian Christians got ethnically cleansed too. In fact, That's even true. faster. That's true. <laughs> yeah, they yeah, got chased out yeah, by Ar the Muslims. Ar 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 Armenia had uh, elected a a neocon, 
as its uh, president, and uh, they've regretted they've regretted it ever since. Yeah, that, that's what I told Peter on the show last night, and he kind of half agreed with me. Yeah, yeah, I think that's what's going on. I was supposed to go to Armenia uh, to meet with some people, but uh, you know, COVID intervened, and maybe it won't happen. This is a, a a a group of people that goes all the way back. The first Christians were Armenians. Uh, they suffered at the hands of the Turks. They're always in this position of these persecuted minority, landlocked, stuck inside the uh, the Ottoman Empire, uh, the Armenian genocide. I did a new chapter on the Armenian genocide in the second edition of the Jewish Revolutionary Spirit. And it turns out that it's the usual suspects. I know you're surprised to hear this, but basically, the I'm Dash shocked. Shocked. No, the, the, what what do the Dashnaks, who were the Armenian terrorists, and the uh, young Turks who were the Turkish terrorists. What do they have in common? They both went so, to Russia. Salonika, Russia. yeah, they, they came out of that uh, that the crypto Jews from Salonika. Right, absolutely, and they both went to the Russian universities where they met up with Narodnaya which was a Jewish terrorist organization, and they adopted the methods. I'm talking about the Dashnaks, adopted the methods of these Jewish terrorists and made a bad situation worse when they came back to Armenia. That was that's the that's the unspoken uh, hidden grammar to the Armenian genocide. Right. And and the people who blame Muslims for the Armenian genocide don't seem to know that the young Turk faction that was behind it is an anti-Islamic, ultra-secularist uh, group that was founded by these crypto Jews from Salonika. So it right. was an anti-Islamic organization, not a Muslim group that carried out that genocide. Um, no, but, they... They they were uh, Parvus the uh, bagman for uh, Lenin and those people. He moved to to uh, 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 Istanbul after the the nineteen five Russian Revolution failed, and he thought we got a much better chance to overthrow the Ottoman Empire than the Russian Empire, and that's what he was doing down there, fostering young Turks on the one side and the Dashnaks on the other. All of them uh, 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 manifestations of the Jewish revolutionary spirit that always leads to war and suffering. Well, that's interesting. You know, I didn't even know that you'd written on that, Mike. I, I need to uh, catch up with your work because... Yes, you know, I... by, by the second edition. Kevin, <laughs> go ahead. Buy second edition, book. and remind us the title. The Jewish Revolutionary, Jewish Revolutionary Spirit. Spirit. You can go and buy it on uh, uh, culturewars.com or fidelitypress.org. Okay. Oh. it's it's Yeah, and and again, I'm, I'm not kidding uh, or just trying to flatter you when I say I think you're definitely one of the most important uh, Catholic intellectuals out there. So let's talk about some Catholic-related topics here. How about, we just went from the Biden Death Watch to the San Francisco Life Watch. Uh, in San Francisco, there was just this huge demonstration of tens of thousands of people uh, in the streets of downtown San Francisco on the anniversary or the day before the anniversary of Roe v. Wade. This was a pro-life demonstration. It was almost all Mexicans and other Hispanics. And here's the Archdiocese of San Francisco with a relatively honest article about it. But look how this was covered in the mainstream, Mike. You Google it, and what do you find? Uh, dueling abortion rights protests. Dueling rallies, as if both sides were about equally represented. Wait a minute. No, we had tens of thousands of the pro-life people. Then there are these tiny little scattered groups of angry, you know, counter-protesters. But you know, just handfuls of them, and yet they're put on exactly the same footing by the mainstream coverage. The dueling abortion rights protests, uh, it almost makes you think the media is not covering this in a fair and balanced way. 
Yeah, there was similar something happened in Phil in uh, South Bend, Indiana. Every year there's a pro uh, an abortion march against Roe versus Wade. The press would always cover it. There were like a thousand uh, pro-lifers and three people pro-abortion, but they'd always take a picture of two pro-lifers and two abortion as if they were, they were equal. They're not equal. This is was imposed on us. It was the Jewish religion imposed on the United States of America. It's that simple. And the point here is uh, Samuel Huntington wrote a book 30 years ago called The Hispanic Challenge. And the point of this book was we have to basically uh, socially engage in the social engineering of Mexicans to turn them into docile sex robots and wage slaves who are loyal supporters of the regime. And something like this shows it didn't work. There is this residual Catholic consciousness here among these Mexicans that is going to thwart the social engineers ultimately. That's what I'm saying. And this that's, is proof of it. That's probably why demographically we have these you know, excesses in the Catholic Latin American countries, especially Mexico, enough of them to be coming over here into the United States. The reason that they're still having children is that they're still religious to a certain extent. Right. Yeah. You have you have to have some sense of the future, otherwise you're not going to have children. And you and you can't know the future, so you only know it by faith. And so if you don't have faith, you're not going to have children. Okay, and of course that's a classic uh, central topic of culture wars discussion. Your magazine is called Culture Wars. Let's get into the culture wars topic. Uh, how about the Jewish cultural war against uh, the larger Christian society by way of vulgarity? Is is vulgarity a weapon against the goyim? That's what Andrew Joyce suggests, and he uh, goes over some recent articles on this topic from uh, actual Jewish writers and makes the case that they have sort of sugarcoated what's really going on here. Uh, you know, I always loved Lenny Bruce. I was a big fan of Lenny Bruce when I was a young countercultural kid. Uh, and I, I never even imagined that there was some sort of ethnic agenda uh, to his comedy. Uh, but I guess there was. Uh, no, no, no one did. No one did. Uh, because you weren't allowed to say the word Jew at that point. It wasn't a category. It was simply, oh, he's a, uh, no, it was a category in, in their mind. And and when you have someone like Lenny Bruce, you're talking about someone who is deliberately transgressive. This is the characteristic of the, the Jewish mind, the Jewish revolutionary spirit. It's deliberately transgressive. It doesn't believe in logos. It doesn't believe in boundaries or, or boundaries only exist to be broken. And so you had somebody like that who uh, was not particularly funny. I don't. I don't think he was particularly funny. But he knew he, that he, he had his get, moments. He he knew that he could get a rise out of his audience if he became transgressive, because embarrassment oftentimes leads to laughter. And so, what was supposed to be uh, uh, proof that he's funny was just proof that he was transgressive. That's all. And that's the role that the Jewish comedian had. Philip Roth was another example, uh, and so on and so forth. But, but wait a minute, George Carlin, who came from a Catholic background, was every bit as vulgar, if not more so, than Lenny Bruce. Yes, that's so, right. So, so was he just learning from the Jews, or could everybody? Well, be uh, well, what what is it a Jewish business? Do you have to uh, can, do you have to be uh, a Jew in order to manifest the Jewish revolutionary spirit? Do you have to if you're smart as an entertainer? Do you understand as a Catholic that I better go along with the Jewish agenda if I want to make money here? Does that make sense? Yeah, it kind of, kind of does. Although, on the other hand, you know, humor and vulgarity, you know, go together. And there's so many examples historically, Rab Rabelais, great work and so on and so forth. So I, I, I think that it's there's a kind of a natural 
uh, affinity between the uh, comedy and vulgarity, um, but it may be that Jews have really exploited that uh, disproportionately and perhaps used it as part of their uh, cultural, their culture camp or whatever. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that George Carlin did it not only because he's trying, you know, unconsciously or consciously trying to be Jewish, but also, I mean, he's trying to be funny and make money. And some of this, some, you know, there's such a thing as, I think, uh, good vulgar humor. And then there's there's not such good vulgar humor. I, I personally think Groucho Marx did good Jewish vulgar humor. Mel Brooks, some good vulgar J Jewish vulgar humor and some not so good. Uh, Lenny Bruce, likewise. I mean, we all but but the category yeah, well, well, of vulgar humor is not a, it's not inherently a bad thing or even necessarily a Jewish thing. No, you're talking about a trajectory over a period of time where certainly Lenny Bruce would not have been tolerated in a movie in the 1930s. So you have to have someone like Groucho Marx uh, basically undermining uh, all uh, the sacred cows as he perceives them of the culture. So you got the Jewish kind of uh, Lower East Side, crass Jewish send-up of the opera. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. what is this opera stuff? This opera stuff is ridiculous. No, it isn't. Talking it's about Night ridiculous. at the Opera. Yeah, yeah I, it's not ridiculous. You're just too vulgar and stupid to understand the beauty of what you're ridiculing. So it began with something like that that seems benign now. And then it moved to Lenny Bruce. And then it moved to Sarah Silverman, who said, yeah, I'd kill Christ. That's not funny. It, 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 now you can just be transgressive without making any pretext about being funny. So what you're talking about is the collapse of moral standards under the assault of Jewish comedians over a period of uh, uh, decades. You know, I, I had uh, Mona, what's her name, the the famous Muslim comedian on my radio show, and boy, was she ever vulgar. Uh, it, she was she was furious at me uh, for my stance on vaccines, and so she basically did an hour long vulgar tirade against me, which kind of has to be heard to be believed. It was kind of you know listening to it. It's it's not it's, it's she's not really very funny. But uh, no. it's kind of like listening to Lou Reed's mental, Metal Machine Music album. Yeah, <laughs> look, I, this is not characteristic of Muslims, certainly not characteristic of Muslims I met. But if she's in a Jewish business, she has to talk like a Jew in order to succeed. That's the same story with Carlin. Carlin is not is in rebellion against Catholic values, whereas Lenny Bruce is not. He's not at least he was funny. Some of the Carlin, time. Some, yeah, some of the time, some of yeah, the time. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, let's, uh, we're, we're getting pretty far through our slideshow here. Let's see how far we've gotten. We've gotten to Lenny Bruce, and now we've got to uh, the Pope Benedict posthumous book that uh, points out that he had problems with so-called homosexual clubs and Catholic seminaries. He had talked about the sexual Freemasonry uh, group that was behind his resignation, but not too much. But now his book apparently lets a little bit more uh, of this out. And he said, it, according to this article, uh, he didn't want this published until after his death to avoid, quote, a murderous clamor from circles opposed to a murderous clamor. That sounds like he was afraid these people might actually kill him, which, frankly, I don't know if I would put that past them. So, Mike, is sexual Freemasonry uh, really this big a problem in the church? Yes, of course it is. The, the Achilles heel of a celibate clergy is always going to be homosexuality. And the church has to be especially vigilant to not allow not just people who act on it, but even if you have the inclination 
you uh, the law the rule is you should be banned if you have the inclination because chances are you're going to act on it if you have it once you're in this type of atmosphere you have to be strict in doing that so what happened to give Ratzinger credit he talks about the 60s when these taboos were removed from the culture and of course the church is going to uh, be affected by this removal the tragedy here uh, is with Benedict XVI, who is a tragic figure, who in a sense brought about the very thing that he complained about. You know, he was the man uh, in nine in the ninth. He says he, in his memoir, I read it. I I, I came across this in nineteen seventy. I was in Regensburg. I saw two a poster of two naked people embracing. Well, wait a minute. This is a little late to the party, uh, Your Holiness. Uh, and I I think he's being disingenuous here. Because he was the confidant, he was the paritus for Cardinal Frings, and Cardinal Frings of Cologne was a heroic figure in opposing the American occupation, uh, opposing the Morgenthau plan to starve the Germans to death, told the people to break into warehouses and take food. But no, people don't know that he was also a heroic opponent of the sexual subversion of the German people at that time. There was a, a German legion of decency called the Volkswagenbund, uh, and Fring supported it during the 50s. It's The sexual subversion started almost immediately. The film was called Die Sünderin. It was Hildegard Kneff. Hildegard Kneff was a German lady, attractive German lady. She married a Jewish soldier, okay, went to Hollywood. Okay, this is great. You're, you've made it. You're a Hollywood star. Guess what happened? First thing she does, she's sent back to Germany to do a film that outraged the morals of the German people. And Frings was the man who basically called the people to basically protest, burn down the theaters. Uh, there was fire started in one, uh, but he didn't say that, but it led to an enormous reaction over this period of time. The Catholic Church including Cardinal uh, Joseph Ratzinger, became more and more embarrassed by their own legion of decency and started to back away from supporting this. That did, I didn't know he played a role in that. For the role, the crucial turning point comes in 1964, okay? Ingmar Bergman, uh, in collaboration with a guy named Harry Schein, uh, a Jew from Austria, in collaboration with Hollywood, creates a, a code breaker, deliberate code breaker called The Silence. It's released in Germany. It goes nowhere in the United States. It just didn't work. Okay, but the same code, they were trying to break the code in the United States as well. Anyway, there is, uh, 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 this is at the same time, this is the final battle. And at this point, Ratzinger has Frings down at the Vatican Council. And he's talking about how we can't be negative anymore. We don't, we don't, he mentioned the modernist oath uh, of Pius XII and the anti-modernist syllabus of Pius IX. What, uh, what was, I, I'm convinced that what's on their mind right now is the Volkswagenbund. We used to say, as Catholics, you have to stand up in church and say, I pledge not to go to dirty movies. The Catholics in the United States got, the Catholic leadership in the United States got embarrassed by that, and the Jews killed this with the pawnbroker. They broke the code with the pawnbroker. The Jews, Hollywood Jews, in collaboration with Ingmar Bergman, who was the art guy, art film guy at the time, broke it in 64 with the film The Silence, The Schweigen. 
in, in German. This is the tragic figure. He was uh, promoting this dialogue with the Jews, promoting Nostra Aetate, saying that the second Catholics had to make amends for Auschwitz. In this book, he even makes this despicable claim that Christian anti-Semitism led to Auschwitz when 20 years ago he was saying that Nazism was a pagan ideology. He's completely gone over to this Catholic-Jewish dialogue, not understanding that the Jews are the main engine driving sexual subversion in the West. This is tragic. So that sexual Freemasonry that ended up being his nemesis was coming from a place that he had uh, really never, never suspected or never How been could willing he not? to speak out against. How could he not? But uh, this is the the unresolved mystery. He's he's haranguing us from the grave trying to justify his legacy, but this is the glaring contradiction at the heart of his legacy. He promoted the very people who were destroying the moral fabric of the West. This is not an exaggeration. The Jews were behind pornography. The Jews were, the Catholics were fighting Hollywood Jews for 30 years in the United States, trying to keep them in line. They broke the code with a Holocaust film called The Pawnbroker in 1965 and unleashed a wave of pornography on the world with all of the uh, uh, nefarious effects that that comes from. And Ratzinger can't, can't understand that there's a connection here. This is tragic. Indeed. Yeah, he's a very bright, bright man. It's uh, it's interesting how sometimes people can be brilliant in certain respects and then miss the obvious and look pretty stupid in other respects. Um, speaking of, of, of Pope's you know, looking not the brightest necessarily. Well, what's up with this latest uh, interview of Francis in which he seems to, it's interpreted being reported as he's moving further and further towards sort of, you know, embracing the gay rights agenda and all of this sort of thing. Yeah, the Pope is a Jesuit. The, the main group supporting homosexuality in the church right now are the Jesuits. The Jesuits are the main Jesuit supporting this is James Martin, uh, associated with America Magazine, which is the forefront of the subversion, the Jewish subversion of the Catholic Church, the Jewish homosexual subversion. The Jesuits get money from George Soros. Okay, they are the Jesuits have been have been taken over by a homosexual cabal. They run the order. I told you this is the Achilles heel of a celibate clergy. You can't let homosexuals in. They have taken over the Jesuits, and they are feeding him Pope Benedict. I'm sorry, Pope Francis, who is in his dojic, feeding these things to him, saying, yeah, we have to talk about homosexuality, this type of thing. It's a tragic situation, but but that's what it is. Hey, we may be living in the Akhira Zaman, the end times, when things are getting this bad in, in the church. Uh, well, it's not just the Catholic Church. Let's be equal opportunity uh, offensive people here and talk about the Anglicans. Um, it turns out that according to the Bishop of London, the Right Honorable and Right Reverend Sarah Mullally, uh, you must, homosexuals must no longer be chased. Well, you could read that in two ways, Mike. Uh, it could either mean that they don't necessarily have to be chased, or she could be ordering them not to be chased, which is a weird thing for a Right Honorable, Right Reverend Bishop to be saying. Yeah, well, to get back to the top, the previous topic, Bishop uh, McElroy of San Diego has been made a cardinal by Pope Francis. 
and uh, announced uh, the same thing that we uh, in America magazine, which is the Jesuit magazine, which is the forefront of homosexual subversion in the Catholic Church right now, announced that there's it's crazy to talk about a difference between orientation and action. There's nothing wrong with homosexual action. So it's that now you have a Catholic cardinal saying the same thing. This is the subversion that is taking place throughout uh, the West. So the church of uh, the, the Christian church is turning into the church of the Holy Holocaust is turning into the church of the homo holy homosexual. Uh, all I can say is Alhamdulillah that I'm a Muslim. <laughs> of course, our, we're under attack too, but uh, we didn't find any news stories about that this week. Um, so how about the singularity? We're coming to the end of the show and we're coming to the end of space, time, history, all of those things with the singularity, which is sort of this black hole that's going to envelop everything when artificial life, artificial intelligence, and nanotechnology fuse into something that basically devours everything. And making that, you know, making, building a singularity through artificial intelligence, artificial life, and nanotechnology research strikes me as a singularly bad idea uh, chat GBT is the latest AI. Um, it's the wolf is at the door. Here's the New York Post article written by Chat GPT about how Chat GPT is putting people out of their jobs. Uh, so, uh, what do you think, Mike? Is is the singularity as singularly bad of an idea as I think? Uh, two of the two of the jobs they mentioned in this report are journalism and higher education. Well, let's be honest, uh, Kevin. Uh, it's already run by robots. Pretty much, they may, they may, they, they, the journal. Where is journalism being practiced uh, in our day, other than by people like you and me? Yeah, yeah, Certain it's all, it's all so predictable. The, most of these mainstream stories that we cover on this show are so predictable that they easily could have been pumped out by propaganda robots. Ab absolutely, absolutely. So if you turn yourself into a robot, don't be surprised that a robot takes your job. <laughs> it's going to be a while before they can uh, make a robot that can do false flag weekly news. And when that happens, I'll probably be past retirement age anyway. Oh yeah, no. You can't you can't have a robot who does what we do because a robot cannot choose the good and we can. That's I'm, I'm going to tell that, Chat, Chat GBT to uh, see if you can write a, a satirical article in the style of Kevin Barrett or see if you can do a false flag weekly news episode the way that Mike uh, Jones and Kevin Barrett do. We'll see what it can do. Yeah, that's right. That's that's the challenge because the other people are already robots. So what's the big deal? <laughs> there you go. It's quite a challenge. Well, it, here's another way of framing the singularity, uh, according to an Esquire magazine article. And apparently, according to this article, the singularity will arrive as soon as the time it takes for professional human editors to fix AI-generated translations is comparable to the time it takes uh, them to fix human translations. Uh, wait a minute. Uh, that's a weird def definition for the singularity, and they're still going to need human editors. So I don't understand how the singularity will have arrived when this happens. No, and I, I think that... Uh... Uh, art of AI translations. So what? It's a tool. AI is already. Uh, I I noticed this uh, with language training. It's much better on computer than anybody could do in person anyway, because you have all this available to you. So it's 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 people who have who lack identity who feel that artificial intelligence is going to take over the world because they're insecure. It's not going to take over the world. It's like what what is what is Siri? Siri is, you know, tells me how to get someplace. Uh, does Siri really know anything about traffic? Well, whatever is programmed into Siri will will show. So it's not it's not 
in human intelligence. But wait, it's wait a minute. It. Like it, it's, it's, but the, the thing with AI is that specifically when it's not what's been programmed in, that what's been programmed in is ways of learning, and then something unpredictable comes out. No, it's not. That's not going to happen. You can't have something that's not been programmed into it arise out of what that which is cannot come from that which is not. It can't happen. Okay, AI, a metaphysical impossibility. Well, I actually agree, uh, assuming that by intelligence we mean consciousness. Uh, if by intelligence, however, what we just mean is no, but wait, strategic. Look, the, yeah. The pra practical reason is the ability to choose the good. That's half of reason. Mm -hmm. The other half is theoretical, pure reason. You cannot, a machine cannot choose the good unless it's told to choose the good. Mm -hmm. That's, that's what's... And, that, and that's why when you program these machines to come out with outputs that you you're not actually predicting, you know, you're not putting in, you're putting in this stuff that's going to generate a chaotic system that gives an unknown output that you couldn't have predicted ahead of time. That's what AI actually is. I think it's actually a bad idea because for the reason that you just explained, Mike, that we humans can choose the good. That's what our practical reason is all about. And these machines can't. And so we have we can have no confidence whatsoever that the output is going to be good and so we shouldn't even be building these machines you just have to understand the limitations of of the machine what does siri know that traffic jams are bad of course not well she does because she's been told to so there's a, a feedback here if the traffic slows down to x the, the line goes red. That's all been programmed into Siri. She doesn't know whether traffic jams are bad or anything like that. It's all been programmed there in advance. Right. But we're, we're talking here about general AI, which is a lot different from, you know, playing chess or beating traffic jams. And the general AI programs uh, give very, you know, out output that is totally not predicted by the programming input. And I, again, I just don't think that's a very good idea for, for the exact I, reason that you said, that they they, they don't have consciousness. The, the, these machines cannot possibly have uh, have values and tell you know, the good from the bad. And therefore, you we shouldn't be giving them power. I don't think they can do it. I, I, okay. don't, think, I don't think they can do it. We're going to have to I, leave I, it there. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to stay with uh, Parmenides and say that which is cannot come from that which is not it's that simple okay well i i think it's it's sort of like you know creating a machine to to do something you know to create a chance output right a randomization machine i think i believe there is such a thing as a randomization machine that you the human can push the button and the human isn't really going to know what's going to come out of it so that, well, that's, yeah like a roulette wheel you mean exactly exactly that's what these really are these are just giant super complex roulette wheels and we're playing roulette with the future of our species of the planet and so on and i think it, it's incredibly stupid i just can't believe that people are stupid enough to be doing this and i can't you know i think ted kaczynski was absolutely right except that maybe he killed the wrong people but that's another conversation for another time uh so singularly stupid uh our most singularly stupid story of the week, the award goes to the people who are trying to ban Aretha Franklin's song, Natural Woman, because it's supposedly offensive to unnatural women. Uh, Mike, you can't make this stuff up, can you? No. The guilty flee where none pursueth. The guilty flee <laughs> where none pursueth. Okay. Well, we're going to flee to our final slide here, which is the Natural Woman song. Probably going to get banned the music that's owned by people of a certain ethnic persuasion.
situation. Uh, either way, they're going to sue us, but it's not their business. We'll never work in this town again, but at least we got to play Natural Wound by Aretha Franklin before they took us out. Well, thank you so much, E. Michael Jones. I love doing False Flag Weekly News with you. Uh, keep up the amazing work, and God bless, and I'll see you next time. Thank you, Kevin. Okay, take care.